Hello, and welcome to this episode of Surety Today. Surety Today is a live monthly call-in podcast presented by the Surety and Fidelity Law Group at Wright, Constable, and Skeen, located in the Mid-Atlantic region. Surety Today is offered to surety claims professionals and is designed to keep you informed about important issues in the industry. Here is your host, Michael Stover. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Surety Today. My name is Mike Stover, and I'm a partner in the Surety and Fidelity Law Group here at Wright Constable Skeen in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm joined today by our special guest, Mr. John Shepard, a vice president with C.A. Shea & Company. John, why don't you say hello to everyone? Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for uh, the invitation to come join you on the, on the show. And um, you know, I look forward to talking about Customs Bonds. Yeah. All right. So, as always, uh, I like to uh, open up our episodes with a big thank you to everyone for uh, your support of Surety today. And we ask that uh, you pass along our contact information to any colleagues who you think may be interested in calling in or checking out one of our podcasts. Remember, you can listen to uh, any one or all of the 61 prior episodes of Surety today anytime, anywhere from any one of our multiple platforms the uh, Surety Today page on our website at WCSLaw.com, as a podcast at Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. Just search for Surety Today. Uh, we also have a microsite at suretytoday.net. We've had over 5,086 downloads of our podcast so far. As always, uh, we've muted the line during the presentation to avoid any background noise, and we will unmute the line at the end for any questions. Uh, with our special guest today, we will be discussing customs bonds, what they are, how the customs process works, what's the exposure for the surety, what are maybe some of the defenses, the issue of stacking, uh, resolving claims with customs, and, and limitations concerns. So uh, I, I received a, a crash course in customs bonds years ago when we uh, represented a surety that had a national electronics retailer go into bankruptcy with over a hundred commercial bonds in place, including uh, a couple of custom customs bonds. The retailer regularly imported millions of dollars in electronics for its business. So there was considerable concern about the surety's exposure and, and under these uh, customs bonds. So naturally uh, we did the smart thing. We retained CA Shea as our experts. <laughs> so, to get started, uh, let me introduce uh, our special guest, Mr. John Shepard. John's a vice president with C.A. Shea & Company, uh, as I say, the nation's premier customs bond experts. Mr. Shepard has uh, actively been involved in the placement, administration, and filing of custom bonds since 1996. He oversees the day-to-day -day operations of the bond department at Shea and is responsible for underwriting and dealing with customs on both the local and executive levels. He's a, a licensed insurance producer and broker. He's been with Shea for over 25 years. Uh, Mr. Shepard is also part of the um, Liaison Custom Surety Executive Committee of the National Association of Surety Bond Producers, which is an ad hoc committee of different surety associations in the surety industry that acts as, a, as an official conduit with the executive level of the U.S. Customs Management Team. So this committee has been instrumental in improving communications between customs and, and the surety industry and works hand-in-hand -hand with uh, customs in developing policy and regulations when it concerns the, uh, the bond process. So C.A. Shea and Company, uh, of course, has been a, a leader in the customs trade-related bond space for more than 75 years. 
Shea services both insurance and surety brokers, agents, as well as other trade professionals seeking U.S. Customs, Federal Maritime Commission, and other related bonds for their clients uh, uh, who interact with the federal government importing and exporting. So it's with great pleasure that I welcome John to our podcast and say that we're honored to have you with us and excited to learn more about customs bonds. So to get us started for for the listeners who are not familiar with the customs bonds and the customs process, John, uh, why don't you start off by giving us just sort of an overview of the process? Okay. Well, um, primarily I think we'll be talking about our importer bonds because there's maybe 15 different kinds of, of customs bonds. But importer bonds are by far the most common. And um, I, in my opinion, probably the most interesting anyway. Uh, the way the way the import process works in in the United States, which is really unique um, in the world, really the gold standard, is that you import your goods, um, you tell customs how much uh, duty you think is due, uh, you get your goods, and then ten to you know maybe thirty days later, depending on your uh, arrangement with customs you pay the duties, taxes, and fees to customs that you told them you thought was going to be due. Customs then has a somewhat undefined period of time, but uh, usually um, usually takes about 314 days from the day of that, that transaction where customs determines what the true duty, taxes, and fees uh, due to customs are you know, by going through all the rules and regulations and whatnot to try to figure out, did you give them, did you pay them the right amount of money? Did you estimate it correctly? Or, you know, did you did you do something wrong? And after that process takes place, um, you know, then, uh, you know, the importer either gets a notice that they owe more money or that they get a refund or, that everything um, was uh, everything was done correctly. So that, that that's a really really high high level overview of how that process works. Okay, uh, and so one of the the unique as, aspects of of customs bonds that I discovered in in the case that I had was that they can actually stack liability. Uh, what does that mean? Walk us through that. So so what that means is that when you have a continuous bond, and that's probably the most common type of bond that most of us will run into, um, what happens is, say the bond is in the amount of $100,000. So um, that means that the surety's liability is limited to $100,000 for the period in which that bond existed. The, the issue, of course, is that if that $100,000 bond exists for 10 years, you could potentially have a million dollars in liability because what happens is is that the bond makes the guarantee that all the rightful duties and taxes will be paid up to the bond amount for each period where the bond exists. Um, and because customs doesn't give you a release, um, you have to be very careful about uh, about that aggregation or potential aggregation of liability. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, that's consistent with what we discovered. And in, in, in our case, there was the bond was a million dollars, and so every year 
we went we went like five years, and and uh, the, the surety I don't think the surety was aware that really after five years they had a total of five million dollars exposure, and 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 with what you say, for instance, uh, customs has 314 days to get back and determine whether or not you you correctly estimated uh, or told them what was owed. There's, there's long time periods and limitations we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, there's, there's long time periods where they can come back and, and say, yeah, uh, we, got, uh, we found that th- this, this wasn't done right or this was, this was improper and, and you owe more and here's the fines and all that. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's really, uh, really was eye-opening, I think, for us and for the surety. So, so in addition, uh, you, you mentioned uh, when we talked about this before um, that the, you know, the, of course, a lot of bonds are, are joint and several liability. But, but what's the issue here with with joint and several liability on customs bonds? Well, well, what's really interesting with customs bonds is is this aspect of joint and several liability. So, of course, um, all all the entities listed on the bonds. So that is both the sureties and the principals. All of those entities um, are both individually liable up, really up to, well, the surety is limited to the bond amount, but the principals really have unlimited liability. Um, all of those um, entities are liable individually for, or um, jointly rather, for, you know, if principal one fails to pay the duty, customs can compel principal two or principal three or, or whomever to pay the duty. Um, and then, but, but they're also um, severally liable. So if principal, um, you know, if principal one uh, fails, fails to, you know, well, I actually, I, I really reverse that. So if principal one fails to pay the duty, um, you know, they're, they're liable in and of themselves to pay it. But customs can also compel one of the other principals to pay it. So, for example, if you have two, if you have three principals on the bond, and principal one becomes bankrupt and unable to pay the duty, um, customs can go to principal two and three and say, "Hey, you guys have to pay the duty." And there's really no way to get around that. Um, so, a thing that we typically see, um, something that gets really, that can be very complicated is you have an issue where you have multiple principals on the bond and for whatever reason um, companies start to get spun off or sold off you know as as the business needs change of the, of the greater entity and they forget they essentially they forget to take that entity off the bond um, the problem of course that you run into is you could have sold that um, that co-principal to a competitor or something. And so now what happens is, is that that co-principal is making entry. Um, it's being secured by the bond that you're on. And, um, you know, if something goes sideways, you could be compelled to pay um, even though you have no longer a financial relationship to that entity beyond the bond. And yeah, so, no, I'm- I, I imagine, in, in addition, uh, the, the surety's got everybody locked up on indemnity agreements that could go after them as well. What's your experience? I mean, does customs, um, are they required to go after the principals first, or can they just go straight to the surety and say, wow, this is this is what's owed? 
No, they have to make demand. They first they have to make demand on principle. I um, even even if they know the demand isn't going to go anywhere. So, um, you know, in the case of like a bankrupted entity or an entity that just doesn't exist anymore, they first make their demand there. Um, principal has 60 days to resolve the issue, and then if in 60 days it's not resolved, um, Customs makes demand on the surety. Okay. Uh, so let's say we've got a, a surety that's issued a Customs bond for a principal. The principal goes out of business. Uh, what are the types of claims that are typically asserted by Customs on, on these custom bonds? I, I would say the most common um, type of claim will be something like um, – an increased duty bill. So, for instance, um, you know, you're importing a shirt, you're importing shirts, and you say, well, they're, you know, 30% cotton, 70% silk, or you, or rather, they're, uh, you know, and and it goes, and you, you know, try to classify it or whatever, and and you know, you pay your you pay your duty based on that classification of that that composition of the shirt. Well, then Customs looks at it and discovers, after taking a sample, they discover, no, the reverse was true, and, and actually you owe more duty now. Um, and so what will happen is after the um, review period, which is referred to as liquidation, after that period, Customs will send the importer a bill and say, oh, hey, um, you paid me $100, but you're actually, you actually owed us $300, so you, you need to pay us the difference. Um, and and then that, if the company's out of business, obviously, that then becomes the surety's problem to resolve. Um, another common issue is is a late filing of customs paperwork. So, for instance, you import your your stuff and you have to pay customs within ten days. Well, in addition to paying customs, you have to also deliver all of your backup documents that justifies the duty rate that you established when you paid the duty. So um, if you fail to deliver that, you fail to present that to customs timely, maybe instead of 10 days, you take 11 days to do it. Well, customs fines you for that. You know, that typically be a $1,000 fine for something like that. And um, so you, you need to, um, you know, that's another very common, very common issue. What what are some other sort of uh, uncommon or you know other types of exposure that the sureties face under these bonds? Um, some uncommon exposure. Um, I mean, I, I again, a uh, I mean, I guess common enough for customs one, but one another exposure would be um, failure to re-deliver. So what that means is. Let's say you're a um, let's say you're a uh, you know poppy seed importer. You import your poppy seeds, and now FDA needs to review that entry because they would need to make sure the poppy seeds are fit, you know, for human consumption or whatever. Well, the poppy seeds don't sit around waiting to be inspected. A sample sticks around, and then the rest of the poppy seeds go out into the population. Um, after 30 That's days. Nice. It's not been inspected yet, and it's out in the world. <laughs> After 30 days, the FDA issues a demand to Customs and says, "Hey, Customs, you're the muscle. Re-deliver those goods to uh, have those 
have those goods recalled. They're not fit for human consumption. Well, at this point, you know, the importer's looking at FDA saying, well, there's nothing I can do. They're, they're on everybody's bagel already. They're, they're eating. They're gone. So what does customs do? Customs issues a demand equal to three times the entered value of the goods that were failed to be redelivered. But not um, the duty, but the actual cost of the goods? Oh, no. Yeah, the cost of three times the value of the goods. Wow. <laughs> so that it, it, can really quickly long, eat through capacity on your bond amount. How long is this in the process that that could happen? Like a, a year? Or? Um, That is typically a faster, um, I would say, again, you're going to see those within 45 days of entry because, you know, it's like – they issue the re- they they'll issue the redelivery notice within 30 days typically, so I mean I'd say anywhere from like 30 to 60 days um, you're going to see those notices of redelivery. Now I'm not in the claims department, so I'm not you know there, it may be more or less than that, but I mean that's typically you're not going to see a redelivery notice three years later or anything like that. You know it's going to be relatively quick. Um, so so that would be, you know, something that I think underwriters may not be aware of. The, 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 that's a kind of a that that's the kind of a, a potential loss on the bond, a redelivery issue. And that's really at any time you have other government agencies involved in whatever it is that you're importing, but particularly FDA um, has the ability to demand that redelivery. Yeah. Wow. So I, I assume the law is clear that, uh, that the surety's exposure under these bonds is, is limited to the penal sum. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, um, surety liability is definitely limited to the bond amount for the period where that occurred. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, so let's talk about uh, we, we just talked about what the potential claims are against these bonds. Uh, what are the what are the potential um, defenses that could be asserted um, by the sureties if they get if they get hit with these claims? Um, well, defense can be very difficult. I mean, because what you need to do is essentially prove the customs was wrong. Um, so, in the case of um, you know, so you need to either be able to prove that no, here's the justification for why the importer, um, you know, declared this amount of duty, you know, or customs has a dispute, there's a dispute between what customs has asserted is the duty due versus what um, the importer asserted. So sometimes there can be very legitimate reasons. Like I think the most, you know, I think the easiest one is like, for example, um, like a, a Snuggie, right? That's like the classic example. Is a Snuggie um, a piece of wearing apparel, or is it a blanket? Well, <laughs> blankets, blankets might have a duty rate of 5%, but wearing apparel may have a duty rate of 30%. Obviously, if you're the importer, it's a blanket. Obviously, if you're customs, it's wearing apparel. Both are legitimate. Both could be legitimate, re- both could be legitimate classifications, depending on how you're you know, how you're looking at that. So 
what happens is you really need to be able to go through and say, well, no, this is why, um, you know, really make a strong case um, as to why, um, you know, customs has the incorrect assessment. Um, so that's one way, that's one way to look, that's one defense uh, is being able to, to do that. Other, other than that, though, I mean, if it's just a matter of failure to deliver documents timely to customs, I mean, you know, during COVID, for instance, um, you know, that was a thing where, like, you know, you just didn't have people in the office. There was no possible way to deliver things to, to deliver paperwork to customs when um, everybody was locked down. Okay, well, that's, that's a legitimate reason. But beyond that, um, it, it, it can be very difficult to find, um, to find really, you know, to find defense uh, on those types of issues. But so if, if uh, it's my understanding, if the surety does have to get involved, that there, there are things like a, like a protest process that's in place that could be utilized by the surety. Uh, oh, yeah. There's something, there's something called reconciliation or drawbacks. Can you talk about those things? Sure. I mean, reconciliation and um, drawbacks. So drawback is, the best sort of example for drawback is like, let's say you're, um, you know, a leather jacket manufacturer. You import all your leather, and um, you know you make all your jackets in the United States, and then you sweep up all the leather scraps off the floor, and you export them to, you know, India to make uh, to make soccer balls. Well, you pay duty on all those scraps, right? But since the scraps didn't get entered into the United States for, you know, they weren't consumed in the United States, you're allowed to, you shouldn't have had to pay duty on that. So you can draw back or basically get a tax refund on those, on the aggregate of those scraps. And um, you can either do that with no bond where you have to basically, you put in your claim and you wait around for three or four years for customs to cut you the check. Or you can take advantage of what they call an accelerated drawback process where you post a bond equal to the amount of tax refund that you want and um, you get that check within, you know, two months. Um, so that, that's, that's what like a drawback would be an example of a drawback. Um, reconciliation, on the other hand, is like when you import when you import stuff into the United States, you need to be able to declare what the entered value is. Now, as you may know, I mean, entered value is like a made up. It's like a legal term. It has nothing to do with like what you're selling the goods for, really, or what you purchase them for. It's it's a you know complicated like calculation for figuring out for just to satisfy customs, right? And what reconciliation does is it says, hey, look. I don't know, I can't at the time of entry determine what the entered value truly is. So I'm going to give you my best guess customs. I'm going to pay you duty. And then within 21 months, I'll tell you what the actual entered value is. So you may ask yourself now, why, how is it that somebody couldn't know what the entered value is on um, importing goods? Well, you might say something like to the effect of, let's say you're a bikini manufacturer, right? And um, so you have all your bikinis made in, you know, Thailand or wherever they're made. 
and you ship them back over and you ship them to the United States for sale. Well, you have to, you may say, well, while all the material was sourced overseas and the labor was sourced overseas, the plans, the uh, intellectual property for that bikini, for the design, is U.S. made. So you can't tax U.S. goods, the goods being the intellectual property. So I need to figure out how I can take the value of the intellectual property out of the cost of producing the goods in order to declare the, to the correct entered value. Um, because that process is, you know, complicated and rather can, can be rather confusing. That's where like a reconciliation takes place. Okay. So I, I you know, as you're going through this and your examples that you're giving, you know, it's, it's really, it sounds really complicated as to each individual item. And I know I've, I've looked at it and it can be, you know, what percentage of thread is in something, where the thread came from. <laughs> and then it could be like, oh, do we have a trade a treaty with, with that country? And is there an exception for that country and duties there? I mean, it, it, it's really complicated. But there is a, uh, there is a database and, and a website that people can go to, and other than calling you guys up, of course. But, uh, but there are customs bulletins and decisions you can request advanced ruling letters and things like that from customs, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can, I mean, there's, you know, customs. The problem with customs is that, like, you know, it's, there's just, it's so, there's so many layers. And so, I mean, if you go and you look at the tariff, you look at the harmonized tariff, um, you know, it's probably, you know, 2,000 pages long. It's got every possible iteration of, um, you know, any kind of commodity that you could think of, um, you know, so it's, it's, and all tons of rules and stuff, so it's super complicated. You really need to, if you're going to, if you have an issue like that where you're really trying to determine what is the enter value or how much duty do I need to pay, that's something that you really do need to engage, you know, competent counsel on um, or, um, have a really good customs broker involved who can help you sort through all that because that is that is all unto itself a really complicated issue. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. But it, it, the reason we're talking about it is because you know if a surety has all this dumped in its lap and it gets a big bill, that you know there's at least the possibility that there are ways to attack that bill and maybe get some things knocked down or taken off. Um, you know, through these various processes. 100%. I mean, like, your example of a trade agreement is is a great example. You know, you could say, oh, hey, um, this shirt, if it was, you know, if uh, 15% of this shirt was produced in the Caribbean Basin, um, it's duty-free by law. You know, the law being a trade agreement with the the Caribbean Basin. Um, And so... That's a big deal. I mean, that, that that takes the duty of all that takes the duty rate of that shirt from thirty percent, you know, maybe thirty percent down to zero. So, you know, um, if 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 the surety, knowing that that potentially exists, needs to be needs to be able to know to go through the you know go through the supply chain and be able to you know bring that bring that sort of stuff to the forefront. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, 
you and I talked earlier, and, and you mentioned that uh, Customs is taking a, um, an interesting position with respect to, um, to limitations on claims. And, in fact, you guys are involved with an amicus brief that's been filed. Why don't you talk to us about that real quick? Oh, sure. So Customs is uh, – so typically what we look at is we'll say, um, you know, liquidation of the entry uh, – you know, plus 90 or 180 days, whatever the case may be, is the reasonable end for surety liability. And the way you get the liquidation is that Customs has taken their, has, you know, taken their time to be able to either notice the principle that there's some delinquency or notice and or notice the surety that there's delinquency. Um, and typically that takes place within, you know, lacking any court issues. That usually takes place within six years of the transaction, okay? Um, now, what Customs is saying, though, is Customs is asserting a position where they're saying that, well, no, actually, it could be forever. Like, we can take as long as we want because while there is a regulatory language that says how long Customs has to take, in order to make a demand notice on the principal. There is no regulatory language that says how long customs has to take to make a demand against surety. So, you know, after X number of days or whatever it happens to be where customs discovers something went sideways, they have to tell the they have to tell the principal, hey, you need to make this right. If the principal fails to answer that or or determines that they don't um, that they're that they're just not going to pay it normally you would imagine the customs would rather quickly make notice to the surety and say hey surety area you have to pay it. but what customs is asserting is that well no we can take our time we can take as long as we want between when the sure when the principal says they're not going to pay until we notice the surety that payment is due and when we make notice that the payment is due that's when the clock starts so um, obviously that's a problem because, you know, customs could, you know, potentially wait, wait forever in some of these cases um, in order to, before they need to make demand. Um, so as you were saying, we, when we saw these, when these cases came to our attention, um, we engaged with Surety Association, with NASBP, and, another, and a number of other um, you know, trade groups to, uh, you know, to do an amicus brief on these cases, um, you know, kind of like saying to the court, hey, like this is, this thing the customs is asserting is basically crazy um, because surety needs to have um, an end to their liability or needs to have a reasonable end to their liability. And this is completely unreasonable what they're asserting. Yeah, where's, where, where are these cases pending? When you say where, um, like uh, the circuit court, I mean the, one of the federal circuit courts, or are they in the trade court? It's in the it's in the CIT, um, the Court of International Trade. So, I mean, for specifics, I could email you the specifics on that um, if you'd like. Um, but I, I don't have the case numbers or anything like that off the top of my head. Yeah. No, no, that that's not so. Just uh, people 
people on the call might want to might want to um, you know read up on that or find out or follow those cases. Why don't you do this? Send me an email, and then I'll send an email out to the group, and uh, and they can get you know if they want to follow up on it, they can. I mean, I know sure. when we had when we had our case, we were holding collateral, and uh, the trustee after the bankruptcy wanted to you know get the collateral from us, and we kept saying, look. We've got exposure with customs, and we don't know when that is going to be done, when it's going to be gone, and and so we we, we need to hold on to the collateral. Um, the court didn't buy that after you know about five years or so, <laughs> <laughs> but we tried, we tried, but uh, yeah, we ended up doing a deal. So I, you know, we're we're a little bit right on the time, but you talked about, uh, you know, I, I know you guys do resolve claims and things like that with customs. What's the the unique aspect, though, of dealing with them. The unique aspect of, uh, of dealing with of customs. Yeah, yeah, in terms of finality and getting, you know, just getting uh, uh, getting the claim resolved and and you know done. Well, I mean, you know, customs is is an interesting ambiguity, you know, in the sense that the, their their opinion is is often, you know, you know. I didn't ask you to come here. You, you know, you decided to this importer or surety decided to take this obligation on their own. Um, so, when it comes to dealing with finality, with because it's really just a relationship thing. You know, you just really need to have a really good relationship with the people at um, at customs in order to make sure that you're able to get a satisfactory, um, you know, negotiate satisfactorily with customs. Um, you know, I, I really, oh, I wish I had a better answer for you than that. My recollection is what I was specifically thinking about was that they won't sign a release. In other words, they won't say, yeah, oh, this no. is done, done, never coming back. You're, you're released forever for this. They won't do that. <laughs> no, customs, customs will not issue a release. Yeah. Yeah. You have to really just sort of through, um, you know, kind of like best evidence kind of stuff, say, all right, I think very likely the surety has no more liability on this issue based on, you know, what we have here. Yeah, I think the best we could do is get them to do some kind of letter or something saying that they were no longer looking at this or something, but it was, yeah. It was not what we... <laughs> it's rather weak in terms of uh, as, as far as releases go. Right, right, right. I, I know we... Uh, we did better when we got the Department of Justice involved. We we did a little better there, but <laughs> all right. Well, um, I think we're out of time here, <clears throat> so we gotta we gotta close up, and then I'll in a minute here I'll open up the line to to see if anyone has any questions. So uh, before I open up the lines, I want to let everybody know that the the next edition of Surety Today will be Monday, September thirteenth, and um, uh, for upcoming events, we're we're finally starting to get some normalcy back, but now this damn Delta variant is sweeping the nation, so we don't know what's going to happen. But as it stands now, the Philadelphia Surety Claims Association will hold its first in-person lunch meeting since the pandemic started on September 22nd. Um, typically, we know we have a speaker, but we felt like everybody uh, has been apart so long that we were just going to let everybody socialize together over lunch. So keep that in mind if you're in the Philly area. Also, uh, coming up on September 22nd through the 24th, as things stand now, uh, we're a co-sponsor of the Northeast Surety Fidelity Claims Conference, and we are planning to hold the uh, Northeast in person at the Ocean Resort and Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey. 
that's a really great venue right on the boardwalk in the ocean. Um, great presentations, food, golf, another chance to be together, uh, hopefully if this Delta variant goes away. Uh, there's no registration fee for that for company people, and the room rates are ridiculous. It's $59 a night. I mean, I, you can't even get that. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe you can get that by the hour at some of those hourly hotels, but, they, you, you know, and, and they're nice rooms because this hotel is relatively new. Uh, again, uh, if it goes forward, hope to see everyone there. Uh, thank you so much, John, for joining us today, and thank you to everyone for joining us, and I, I look forward to speaking with everyone again next month and uh, at, at these upcoming events. So I'm going to open up the line here. All right, so the lines are open. If you've got any questions for for John about customs bonds, now's the time. And I, I told hey, John, John, typically we don't get any questions, but <laughs> no, I actually have a question this time. It's Tracy over at Berkeley Surety. Uh, John, a question uh, I have is regarding uh, a master file extract. Uh, what yes. that represents and how does that uh, possibly help in determining any future claims you might have on, on a principal from, from customs? Well, so, okay, that's a great question. So the master file extract is a listing of all of the outstanding um, duty and, and unpaid debt that a particular um, they, it gets run by tax ID number. So the particular tax ID number owes to customs. So um, that's sort of like the official record, right, of like all the unpaid debt um, to customs for that, uh, for that importer. Um, and so if, you, if the principal is able to provide you with the master file extract and there's nothing on there, um, you know, then you can be reasonably sure, because again, I mean, you know, customs issues can arise later down the road or whatnot, but you can be reasonably sure that as of, you know, as of that point, there's no more, uh, you know, there's no outstanding duty, there's no outstanding debt for that importer to customs. Great, thank okay. you. Have you ever seen something come through after that master file? Um, no, like unless, I mean, what we typically counsel is to say like, look, wait until entries liquidate, wait 90 days for that to happen because that's typically customs like kind of clawback period is 90 days. And after that time period has elapsed, then run the master file extract. If nothing's on there after then, absent a fraud issue, I really, I, we don't typically see any anything come up after that. Okay. Thank you. Sure. <clears throat> any other questions? All right. Well, again, thanks, everybody, and thank you, John. Sure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surety Today. Audio recordings and white papers from prior episodes are available on the Surety Today page of the Wright, Constable, and Skeen website at wcslaw.com backslash surety-today.